many of you enjoy watching like home repair shows? Like if I were to walk into your house, like HGTV would be like just playing on loop. Like how many of you have seen like the uh, show like Fixer Upper? Every episode multiple times, so it just plays on loop. Or uh, Hometown Makeover, that's one that, yeah, I, I see some, some heads out there. I can remember, you know, in the early 2000s when Extreme Home Makeover came out on ABC. That's kind of like started this whole trend of all of these shows of how they'd make over this home in a week. And uh, it was just phenomenal to see what they could do with this old shack and make it into this beautiful, nicely remodeled home. You know, there's something inside of us that has that desire to be restored, that restoration, to see something that was just old and decrepit and to see it made new. It's that some, some desire that God has given to us to see that, that restoration. Did you know there's coming a day when here on planet Earth, when everything will be restored, there is coming that day, that golden age, when those things that I just prayed about, we will not have to worry about them. Can you imagine a time when there will be no more poverty? Be no more prisons, no more hospitals, there'll be no more army bases, no casinos, no houses of prostitution, none of these things on this earth will be present. The bloom of youth will be on everyone's cheek. The wolf and the lamb will lie down to each other. The little child will play with the serpent. That freaks me out a little bit. You guys know I don't like snakes. But that day will come. It will come. The implements of war will be a relic of the past. Jerusalem will be the world's capital. The saints resurrected will rule and reign with the Lord Jesus Christ. The desert will blossom as a rose, and the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Everyone will bow down and worship our Lord as Savior. The earth will be restored to its original form. As we see in the book of Genesis, the Garden of Eden, this time that we will call, it's called in Scripture, we look at it, we, we, we've named it the Millennium, because Scripture refers to, as we're going to see this morning, a thousand years. A thousand years that this will take place. And as we start reading in our, our passage here in Revelation, let me just kind of give you just a little bit of background before we move there, as we've kind of moved through, maybe some of you have missed some of the weeks, as we've moved through this book of Revelation. And we know that we are in the church age right now, that we, the next thing in God's prophetic timeline to happen is that we are going to be raptured up to be with him. Those of us that are followers of Jesus Christ, this world one day will not be our home and we will be in heaven with him. That day may be today. We do not know when, we just know that it's imminent. And it, that it will happen. When we get to heaven with, with Christ, we will be there with him. And while we're in heaven with Christ, this world will go through awful wickedness. We know that we didn't look at all of those passages in Revelation, but we know that the world will be topsy-turvy. You think it's bad now? 
Go read Revelations chapter 6 through 18, and you'll think, oh, man, that's nothing compared to what those passages of Scripture say. We know, as we looked at last week, the Christ will return on a white horse. He will come to rule and reign this world. And that's where we are today. But first, we're going to see here this forceful restraint of Satan that's going to happen when Jesus Christ comes back. Let's look in Revelation chapter 20. It says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it, and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer, until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. We'll come back to that in just a moment. In this golden age, the millennium, the great thing about it is that Satan will be bound. Now, we know today that he, Scripture says, is like a roaring lion going about through the world. It says in 1 Peter 5.8, it says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. We must always be on alert because we know that Satan is looking to devour the followers of Christ. He's throwing those temptations out there at you to, to, for you to bite. Now, if you knew that there was a lion prowling around the sawgrass communities, it'd be all over, you know, sawgrass voice, wouldn't it, number one? It'd be a big deal there. But you would be vigilant as you went out, would you not? When you looked out your door, you'd say, is that lion out here? You wouldn't let your animals out to use the restroom without you there. You wouldn't let your kids play in the street why? Because there is a roaring lion going about. Same way for us today. There is Satan. Scripture calls him this roaring lion. You would be careful. You would be vigilant. But there is coming a time when that lion will be chained. And he will be cast in the prison. The court has met, the gavel has fallen, and the arch criminal Satan has been pronounced guilty. And he receives... The longest prison sentence on history, a thousand years, when he's placed in confinement in a prison house known as the bottomless pit. Now, this is not his final destination. We'll see that in just a moment. As we're going to see, it's, it's a holding tank until he's eventually cast into the lake of fire. Behind every jail, behind every hospital, behind every asylum, behind every act of of murder and rape and arson and hatefulness is this roaring lion, Satan. He is behind it all. He is an accomplice to every crime that has ever happened. The high crime against God is his greatest. If you remember in Scripture, it talks about how he thought he could be like God. 
And now he is adjudicated guilty. So we see this forceful restraint of Satan. Imagine this world without Satan roaring around. Next, we're going to see the future reign of our Savior as we keep going through Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. It says, Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. I also saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first res resurrection. Over the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. What it's referring to here is, you know, Jesus will rule on this earth during this reign, and the saints will rule with him. The saints of all the ages will rule with him. You say, Pastor Robert, do you really think there's going to be here upon this globe a literal reign of Jesus Christ? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, I do, and you ought to, too. You know, how many times have you prayed the prayer? I asked you guys this several weeks ago, Matthew 6.10. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? on earth as it is in heaven. Has it been done yet on earth as it is in heaven? No, it has not yet. Would Jesus ever teach us to pray something that is outside the will of God? No, he would not. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. At that time when Jesus rules and reigns, it will be the fulfillment of that prayer. Human kingdoms will be changed. And we'll see there as well in that passage that we just read that those who survived the tribulation, those who came to knowledge of Christ during that time will also be resurrected to rule and reign with Christ during those thousand years. Now put your finger in Revelation as we're going to come back there. But let's go over to Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah the prince of prophets, he prophesies this in the Old Testament Centuries before Christ's first coming as a babe in a manger, he says, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. And many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Man, taking their weapons... And setting them down. There will be no more war during this time. Human kingdoms will be changed. At some point at all, throughout all of history, there has been somewhere on this globe that war has been taking place. No more. 
for a thousand years be peace. Isaiah chapter 11, let's keep going and see what Isaiah says. He says, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together. And the little children shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Man, even the animal kingdom will be restored. Imagine that. Imagine the animal kingdom being restored. Not just the nations, but God's going to come through and put the earth back to the way he created it to be. What a wonderful day. When the criminal Satan is chained when the bride is with the bridegroom and the king is on his throne, that is what we have to look forward to in the millennium reign. That is the golden age. That is the day that is going to come. We yearn for that day. We see this in, in movies that depict this utopia. You know, there's so many movies and TV shows that try to show this kind of earth as a utopia. You know, going back to the, the, the earliest of, like, Star Treks. You know, you, if you're any, anybody out there that's a Trekkie, you know, they, they like to, to portray the Earth as we've come to this utopia where there's no more war, war on Earth. And everywhere, there's no more famine, no more poverty. There's been this desire for this perfect world that's never going to happen until Satan is bound and Jesus is on his throne. That day is coming. We long to be restored. The earth is yearning for the restoration. It's yearning for Christ to come. There's a third thing. So we see that Satan's going to be bound. We see the future reign of our Savior and we see the final rebellion of sinners. Sometimes we think everything is already, it's done. Satan's locked away, and then we say, oh no, he's back. You remember that we read that passage, it says, he'll be bound for a thousand years, and they'll be loosed for a time. Let's read in verse 7. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison, and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. Now just when we think Satan is gone, he's chained, put in the bottomless pit, God releases him one last time. You say, who is this that's turning their back on God? Just imagine this for just a moment. We have the literal reign of Christ sitting on his throne in Jerusalem. We have the resurrected saints that are ruling and reigning with Christ here on this earth. But there'll be those who have lived through the tribulation. Those humans who have had children, who have had children, 
generation after generation for a thousand years. And God, who is always sovereign, allows Satan to have one final fling. Why is this? It's God's final testimony to the wickedness of the human heart. Because see, even though Satan's not there for a thousand years, we still have this wicked, sinful heart. It's mankind's final test. There's going to be some people who are going to rebel with Satan. You say, Pastor Robert, I thought everyone would be saved during the millennium. No, because there will be children that will be born during the millennium from those who have survived the tribulation. And when they have children, many of these children, even though Christ will be visibly ruling and reigning, will not follow them as their Lord and Savior. You think, how could that be? Well, there are people that came and saw Jesus the first time. When Jesus came the first time, saw him do miracles, saw him raise the dead in Lazarus, saw him make the blind see, the lame walk, and they still did not follow him. It'll be the the same the second time. Jesus will rule the nations with a rod of iron. During that a thousand years, there'll be no uprising. There'll be no Satan leading in the rebellion, but down in the human heart, latent in the human heart, will still be sin, if not washed by the precious blood of Lord Jesus. Now, listen to me, it's very important. God has millions and millions of children, but he does not have one grandchild. Let me explain that. He has millions of children, but not one grandchild. Just because your parents are Christians, that does not mean you will be a Christian. The decision to follow Christ is something that each and every person must make for themselves. It's not something that transfers from generation to generation to generation now. It's a decision that each one must make. So God, as he is moving through, now in the millennium there will be God's children, but there will be those who are the children of God's children who have never accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior, who in the millennium after a thousand years are going to rebel against God when Satan is let loose. And God is demonstrating to the world two great principles when he does this. Number one, he's going to demonstrate that punishment is not the final answer. Satan has been in the prison house doing a hard time for a thousand years and he comes back to rebel one more time. You see, punishment is not the answer. Because sin is at the root of all human. It's not that we need deliverance from Satan, it's that we need deliverance from our sin. And that only happens through Jesus Christ. Tell you something else environment is not the answer. You can make your environment as good as you possibly can, but after 1,000 years of peace and righteousness down, And the human heart is latent with sin, and we will rebel. So many people think if we could just change the environment, it would change the nature of men. (laughs) We've had a perfect environment in the millennium for a thousand years. It did not change the nature of men. Adam and Eve were placed in a perfect environment in the Garden of Eden, and Satan came in. 
and sin entered and destroyed that perfect environment. Now, I'm telling you, punishment is not the answer, and I'm telling you that environment is not the answer. The criminologist and his prisons are not the answer. The social sociologists and their programs are not the answer. The educator and their philosophies are not the answer. The statesman and his politics are not the answer. There is only one answer, and his name is Jesus. Jesus, one more time, the final filter, the final test, will let Satan out of his prison house, and here people will go with that sin that is in their hearts. We're going to see, finally, this fixed resolution of sin. Pastor, when will we be done with sin? Right here, verse 9. It says, And they marched up over a broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. But fire came down from the heavens and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Do not get the idea that hell is something that is temporary. Scripture is clear about the eternality of hell. Satan is finally cast in the lake of fire. Will there ever be a time when sin is finished? Will the, will the problem of sin finally be fixed forever? Can we ever say farewell to sin? Yes. At this moment, Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, Satan is gone forever. For the Bible says in Matthew 25, verse 41, hell is prepared for the devil and his angels. And the sad thing is that if you follow Satan, and I won't want to say it kindly, but truthfully, those that choose to follow Satan will follow him to his ultimate end. This is the final resolution of sin. Now notice what I've said. Satan is going to be bound. Jesus is going to reign. The animal kingdom and the kingdoms of this world will be changed. And then there's coming this final rebellion. Our Lord will put that down and he'll say, Father, here is the kingdom that I deliver to you. Here is the earth restored. And as we're going to look at in the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at the new heaven and the new earth. Where sin will never abound. Where the glory of the Lord will fill the earth. What does this mean for us? What does this mean for you and I as we read this passage? First of all, it means hope. Hope and encouragement. Don't get the idea that the gospel has failed. It has not failed. We are waiting for Jesus to come. And those that are his followers will rule and reign with him. It gives us hope to know that that pain you walked in here with today is not forever. That struggle that you faced this week is not forever. That temptation that you struggled with this week is not forever. It means 
hope. Hope that gives us encouragement. The second thing that it gives us is it gives us anticipation. And I believe that Jesus Christ, as we've talked about, he can come at any moment. It says in Matthew 24, 44, in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man comes. Over and over again in the Bible, we are told about the imminent return of Christ. We should be anticipating. I'm saying this every week. We live our lives like today is it. Anticipating. The third one is evangelism. We need to be telling people about Jesus. This is the great proof that you believe what you've said this morning is that you not just write it down in your notebook or type it out in your phone, but that you believe it when you start to share it. You start to tell others about this wonderful Christ who saved you from this wicked sin that you have committed. This passion in your heart to see others changed. The last one is examination. When we read these passages in Revelation, this should drive us to examine our lives. Examine where we stand. Do you know in your heart that you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, asked him to forgive you of your sins and to follow him. You might say, well, Pastor Robin, I'm not really sure to tell you the truth that I'm saved, that I'm saved from my sin. Well, I've got some good news for you, and the gospel has good news, is that today can be your day of salvation. There's a reason God puts you in this room at this very moment to hear this message. So you could have salvation provided by Jesus. It is a gift, nothing to earn. It is a gift. It says in Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith. Grace is God's love to you. Grace is defined as unmerited favor, meaning there's nothing you did to earn God's grace. There's not anything, how, it's not about how smart you are or how much money you have or how skilled or talented you are. No, grace is strictly unmerited favor. Grace is God's love reaching down to you and saying, I love you. I sent my son to die for you. Here's my hand of grace reaching down. And faith is your hand reaching up to God's hand of grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. When you put your hand of faith in God's hand of grace, that's salvation. That's when you say, God, I have faith that you sent Jesus 
to die for my sins. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. Not a person in this world that's living today saw Jesus Christ die upon that cross. His word has captured that for us, but we have faith in the written word of Christ that that is true. And you say, I have faith in the finished work of Christ upon a cross for my sins. That's when you have salvation. When you say, Lord, I know that you love me and I know that you want to save me. And I know, Lord Jesus, by faith, by faith, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. By grace are you saved through faith not of your own works, lest any man should boast, as Paul says. It's by the work of Christ alone. So as we finish out today, allow it, this message, to give us hope, give us encouragement. Allow it to create an anticipation in our heart. Allow it to give us a burden to tell everyone around us and allow it to last of all. Examine our hearts. Are we ready to meet our Savior? Because we know today could be our last. Let's pray.